brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved, Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Virginia last night. Police Chief Mark Seleski. Six victims have died. Four victims are in area hospitals with conditions unknown at this time. And the suspect is dead from what we believe was a self-inflicted gunshot wound. Police say they don't know yet exactly why the gunman did this. An employee says the manager didn't say anything at all. He just opened the door, she said, and began shooting. So many Americans are traveling. This is expected to be one of the busiest Thanksgiving holiday travel seasons since the AAA started tracking this more than 20 years ago. About 55 million of us will be on the move, says the AAA, most by car. If you're flying, today and Sunday will be the busiest days. The AAA's Andrew Gross. It's just the nature of flying. You know, you have a lot more flexibility when you drive because you can decide, you know, what time you're going to go, where you're going to stop, who's in the car with you. When you go by plane, you're, you know, it really depends on what time the plane goes. More Americans are applying for unemployment. The Labor Department says jobless aid claims hit 240,000, up 17,000 from a week earlier. While the total is the highest in several months, it remains low by historical standards. The job market is still strong despite high inflation. But the extraordinary job security American workers now enjoy may not last, as the federal Reserve keeps boosting interest rates. Many economists expect the U.S. to slip into a recession next year as higher borrowing costs slow the economy. Sagar Magani, Washington. Two explosions near bus stops in Jerusalem. One person killed. Police suspect Palestinians. This is AP News. This is KCAA. San Bernardino is my hometown. I live here, work here, and raised my children here. I, like so many others, am rolling up my sleeves to make San Bernardino the best it can be. Won't you join us? Welcome to the Uplift San Bernardino Radio Show. I'm Erin Brinker. Welcome, everybody. Happy Thanksgiving. It is Wednesday, the 23rd of November. We are one day away from the big T. Yes, that's Turkey Day. And, uh, 
Thanksgiving Day. So excited to have you with me this morning, as I always am. For Turkey Day tomorrow, for Thanksgiving Day tomorrow, we're looking at warm and windy weather. So if you are in the high wind areas of Ontario, Fontana, Rialto, San Bernardino, you know, throughout the Cone Pass, stay out of that high profile vehicle. Just park that for the day and have people come to you. That's the best way to do it. So in addition to gluttony, yes, I did use that word because... I don't know about y'all, but we sure eat a lot on Thanksgiving, and that's what it's for, and we're all very grateful for the feast. Thanksgiving is about football, so I want to let you know who's playing, in case you're not sure. The Bills and the Lions are coming together at 9.30 a.m. This is on Thursday morning. Patriots and Vikings at 5.20 p.m., and in between those, the New York Giants versus the Dallas Cowboys. That's at 1.30 p.m. So Bills and Lions, then Giants and Cowboys, and Patriots and Vikings, Bills and Lions at 9.30, Giants and Cowboys at 1.30, and Patriots and Vikings at 5.20. So, you know, figure out your meal schedule <laughs> if you're so inclined. And when people think of the day after Thanksgiving, of course, they think of the shopping on Black Friday, although many, many stores have had great sales already. That's, you know, the shopping season's already off with a bang and, you know, go enjoy. If that's your thing, go for it. One thing that's really cool that's happening on Black Friday is the Riverside Festival of Lights. Now, this is turning on the lights at the Mission Inn. Thousands will gather at this particular event. It starts at 4.30 uh, to open the holiday season. They'll have fireworks and, of course, millions of festival lights. Uh, visitors will be treated to holiday-themed selfie stations, holiday trees, large ornaments, a sleigh, bows and garland, adorning lights and bridges. Parking is usually a challenge downtown, so you might need to park a few blocks away and walk or, you know, maybe park and ride and use public transportation. But it's always a good time to go check out the Festival of Lights, especially if you have kids or maybe people visiting from out of town who have never gone. It's really, it has that wow factor. So I've got one more bit of really good news before we jump in to the day's interviews. So the first one is that based on the latest data, the Inland Empire's jobless rate has leveled off at 3.9%. That's still a bit higher, say a tad higher, a skosh higher than both the California and nationwide rates. So we're still doing pretty well. The State Employment Department, uh, sorry, the State Employment Development Department, that's the EDD, says local payrolls expanded by 27,600 jobs in October. Uh, over the past 12 months, there have been uh, or there has been a job gain of 5.4%, leading the payroll increases were jobs in trade, transportation, and utilities. And leisure and hospitality gained 15,500 jobs over the past 12 months. So at the state level, the EDD recommends that in October, California fully recovered all jobs lost during the pandemic-induced recession, adding more than 56,000 jobs last month. And the state is now... 30,800 jobs above the pre-pandemic total of February 2020. That is really great news. And it's from Inland News Today. If you are looking for a quick read to find out just the news of the day, just the facts, ma'am, inlandnewstoday.com is a good place to get it. All right, so we're going to jump in. I have a, uh, a great interview with Adam Russell, who is a favorite guest, one of the favorite guests on this show. Uh, 
uh, interview with Adam Russell. We're going to be talking economy and business and some special news for small business owners. And so check it out. There's going to be some workshops and some money available by the state from the state rather, but you, there's a, there's a window for applying for it. And there's some things that you need to know. So definitely you want to stay tuned. All right. Without any further delay, let's go. Well, as always, I'm super pleased to welcome to the show Adam Russell. He is the CEO of Services and Solutions for Business, lifetime banker, lived all over the world, and he also is a professor at Cal State San Bernardino, where he teaches finance. So he's here, joins us once a month to talk about finance and the economy and business in the Inland Empire and beyond. Adam Russell, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Aaron. Nice to be here again. Uh, it's a Thanksgiving show. The next show we do will probably be pre-Christmas. Uh, so this is our holiday segment, I guess. Right. Uh, I should have had, had something prepared for the holidays other than the fact that, oh, it's going to cost more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, I remember hearing reports about a month ago where um, they were talking about how turkeys are scarce and it's going to be this run on turkeys and all of that. Is that materializing or people just were freaking each other out? It is still, I, I think it's still a lot of talk. They did have to cull something like a million turkeys out of 8 million or 9 million, something like that. So that's a significant debt to the turkey population. And uh, general uh, things that I've heard is that it's taking the, the guys like the butcher shops down. Hey, we still don't have our turkeys here that you promised us sort of thing. Ah. Uh, I know I know we have ours. We picked ours up. It's a 20-pound bird. It's sitting in our freezer because like last year, I told my wife, hey, I hear there's going to be a run on turkeys. Let's, let's buy like 10 of them and sell them on eBay. No, <laughs> um, which would be the smart thing to do. Okay? Right. Uh, but uh, no, we have it sitting in the freezer. I don't think it was an issue. Uh, I'm not sure how uh, expensive it was, but you know, costs are going up. I mean, you see that it, it doesn't take a, a, a brain surgeon to try and figure that one out. Uh, but we haven't seen that, uh, you know, an absence of turkeys. It's just speculation and talk that the avian flu and all that stuff. It's right, you know, commerce finds a way to adapt. However, what's interesting is they had said that purchase tickets for travel on, on Wednesday is lower than 2019. Seriously, yeah. Who knew? Yeah, yeah who knew? And I, and my son is actually going to uh, Qatar or Qatar, depending what you call it. Is he going out so, there for the World Cup? Yes, he is. Wow, yeah. That's, so that's awesome. He must be it, it, so excited. Exciting. Yeah, no. So you have there's still a lot of activity going on. Uh, anecdotally, you know, I'm a big anecdotal kind of guy. I talk to different people. Businesses are these small businesses. You know, there's big business where you have their Twitter's cutting people, Amazon's laying off 10,000, Facebook is cutting X amount, and then there's the regular Joe. Uh, and the regular Joe is starting to see a slowdown uh, in their business. So uh, the the effects that the Fed are doing, whether it's actually happening or it's more psychological, which is then causing it to happen. Right. At that point, uh, what's the difference? Yeah, you know, it is uh, the raising of the rates. Now, prime rate right now is 7%. It, you know, it's just not been 7% in a long time. Uh, and if you borrow, and the key word is if you borrow, because if you don't borrow, we mentioned this last time, if you don't borrow, who no cares? Penalty. Right. Yeah, exactly. Except if you borrow to buy equipment, now the equipment's a little more expensive. So maybe, you know, it doesn't pencil out. Uh, but I do, I do like to, you know, I'm, I'm a very much of an advocate for 
learning new things. Um, and there are some things out there. And actually, I should have sent it out this week on, on, a, on a blast email. There's a program called Cal Competes. Uh, have, you, have you heard about that program? I have not. It is. It's not, it's not like something like the ERC or the PPP where if you apply, you get it. Okay. Cal Competes is a program put together by the state of California uh, to help business. Who knew those two things would be in the same sentence? And it seems like an oxymoron, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. But, you know, California, you know, anyway, that's, that's, I don't have a cocktail in front of me yet, just a Mountain Dew. Um, so Cal Competes has a program where if you are a business and you're at a crossroads, you can either expand in California or you can move out of California. Uh, and it's like, do I move? Do I expand here or do I move or do I move period? I don't really care about expanding. I just want to move. Okay. Well, California says, Oh, hold, hold on, hold on. Before you take that thought that much further, talk with us and tell us what you want to do. So, uh, you're saying, well, you know what? Arizona wants me to move out there or Texas wants me out there. You know, I got 50 employees are going to do A, B and C. And uh, okay, so so you're telling us that if uh, you move to Tennessee, all your employers are going with you. Yes, they are. Oh, okay. Well, how much would it take to have you stay? Uh, and you come up with a number. And the state goes, okay, well, if you promise to stay and keep those jobs here, uh, and oh, by the way, what infrastructure are you building? uh to make you stay here because you just can't it's not like blackmail money where hey if you don't pay me some money i'm heading out of here well that was uh, where my brain was going <laughs> yeah well you know it, it kind of is right um but uh you know i i'm at a crossroads i'm either going to do some improvements and stay or i'm going to go to texas and take the gang with me uh and they go okay so how much money do you need? well the building is 10 million dollars the improvements are three million dollars um, and they go, well, you know what? I'll tell you what, we'll give you money for the improvements. Here's $3 million. Sweet. Okay. Okay. And there's no catch. And there really isn't. You just have to, yeah, there's subsequent checkups where you have to go, yep, yeah, you know, here's the employees I hired uh, for this, uh, or here's the cost I did, here's employees we retained. And it's, uh, and, and, you know, not surprisingly, the, the guys that take advantage of this are able to get this through. Microsoft, Zoom, that sort of thing. Right. Uh, right. But there are little $500,000 rewards out right here in the Inland Empire uh, that have uh, that have been received. Response Envelope is a company in Ontario that got money uh, for their business. I think it was like eight or nine million dollars. Uh, there is, oh, what is the name? There's another company in Chino that uh, got some funds. And it is it, because it, it's, you know, public information is all listed. But you have to apply. Now, there's a window that opens up January 3rd because there's nothing else going on at the beginning of the year after the holidays. You know, you're not closing your books or anything, so you have plenty of time. Uh, <laughs> but it opens up January 3rd. I think it goes around the 14th. It's a two-week window. Oh, that's you, plenty of time. And you can apply. Well, the idea is to get a heads up. And so what we're doing, there's a group of us. There's, you know, of course, you got the banker, you got the insurance guy, you got uh, the consultant and the attorney. Uh, we're hosting a little uh, sort of uh, get together. So we call it a CEO or CFO information thing. And we'll be talking about this. We'll have Matt Wilson with Wilson even. Oh, yeah. Know him well. Okay. He's coming out and he's done a number of these things. He's helped his customers with, with uh, Cal Competes.
So uh, he's coming out to speak on it, and that is December 6th. All right. And it's going to be at the Ontario Hotel, which used to be the old Hilton, uh, but the Ontario, Ontario Airport Hotel, I think it's called. Uh, and that's on Inland Empire Boulevard. No, it's, uh, I don't know. It's, it's it, it, well, I'm going to be sending out, I'll, I'll put it on my website. Oh, it's okay. the way. And, um, you know, we'll uh, post it on there so people can see that. But I think it's certainly, if you're a business owner, and and I say people think of your business owner, you, you know, 100 employees. No, business owners, 5, 10, 15, 20. Uh, and, and what I like about the Wall Street Journal, they've profiled, uh, they profile a lot of small business, 22 employees. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. And uh, I'm going to kind of, that's a shiny object I'll try and stay away from for right now, uh, but I'll get back to it. So the, the, the uh, CalCompete thing I think is very worth looking at. It is difficult to put together because it's almost like it is a credit request. And so it's got to be written up like a credit request and needs projections. What is going to happen? And most business owners, and frankly, most CPAs don't do projections. Right. It's just not in their wheelhouse. Well, uh, and, and that, it's really a management accounting function more than a public accounting function. Yeah, very well said. It absolutely is. So, uh, but it's it's certainly worth uh, uh, checking out. And, you know, I'm happy to point people in the right direction. I thought a lot about helping out with that. I've got other projects going on. I don't have the bandwidth. Uh, you know, the big project I'm working on, we're looking to, to start a bank uh, in, well, buy a bank in Alabama. Uh, we're still another three to four months away from that. It's been we've been working on this for two years, so but we're getting closer. Um, well, about the about the workshop, and, not, and I apologize for interrupting. Well, Send no, that okay. information out, and then I'll blast it out to our networks, um, okay. our small business networks. So that's that's Cal competes, and I'll get that information to you. I'll forward I'll forward the flyer that we put together for that. Uh, but people have to sign in. There's no cost for it, but you do have to put your name in the hat. We need to know who you are, so we're not inundated with Fair enough. more anticipated. But you, we usually get 15 to 20 people with something like this. That's wonderful. So, That's a, That sounds uh, like a great service. Yeah. Um, and so the second thing, too, there's a lot of stuff going out there with the ERC. How many employees does your nonprofit have? 12. Did you apply for the ERC? Um. Probably not if you don't know. No. Well, and it wouldn't have been me. It would have been our executive director. We we have a new yeah. executive director as of September 1st. And so she's been focused on other things. And so I don't know that that we did. And what does what, the what ERC is, so, stand for? What, employee, employee retention credit, also known as the ERTC, employee retention tax credit. Uh, and it is really, I mean, you hear the ads on the radio now incessantly, but it's been in place as part of the original CARES package back in 2020. Um, and I've been pointing people, I've been helping people with it in the sense that introducing them to the right people that can do the employee retention tax credit. Basically, if you qualified for two PPP loans, you're probably a good candidate for the ERTC. And we did. We had two. Okay. And they were both so forgiven. 
Okay. So now, uh, and this is open to nonprofits, what you do is you can get back, usually the, the, the get back is anywhere from oh, eight to 15,000 per employee. Seriously. That's substantial. It is. You know, if you've got 12 employees, you probably get about 100 to 150,000 back. Okay, so that's wonderful. I've got your attention, have I? You absolutely I can, the do. Pu the pupils dilated. Ding, ding, okay? ding, ding, ding. <laughs> so, um, so what you have is I can introduce you. I'll, I'll do so two things. Thing number two. Um, so Cal competes to Aaron and, and ERC to Aaron. And uh, what that do, I'll introduce you to Helen Hahn with R&D Incentives Group. And R&D has been doing uh, research and development, hence the R&D, uh, for 15, 20 years. Okay, and that's old tax credits. Uh, and so they've been doing that. When this came up, they went, hmm, a tax credit? It's kind of like a tax credit. Well, let's take a look at this. And they've been doing this since 2020. Oh, that's great. I've had probably about a dozen clients go with them. Uh, very happy. Uh, who's your, uh, pay the payroll providers, Paychecks also does the ERTC. And they do it for a flat fee. Uh, most people do it for a percentage. Uh, we do it, you know, they'll say we do, we'll do it for 10% or 15%, whatever it is. So if you get back 100,000, they keep 10 and you get 90. Sounds reasonable. It is. It's been a, uh, if I were to do things again, I might focus on the ERC, but it's a tax thing, right? I, I don't want to deal with someone's 941. Right. And then get a phone call from the IRS asking what I did. I said, okay, yeah, I'm not the CPA. So, that's another thing. Most businesses are getting inundated with these calls. And now at this point, you know, uh, when they, if you, they'll ask you, hey, did you have a decrease in revenue? If the answer is no, then you really don't qualify. But there's other ways of doing it. Um, but a lot of these firms are really stretching that. And they're saying, no, 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 you qualify, we'll submit it. And so they, you say, okay, well, they told me I qualified, let's submit it. You get back 100,000 or 200 or 500, whatever it is. And uh, they keep, you know, 10, 50,000, whatever it is. And then in three years, IRS comes back and says, hey, show us your paperwork on this. And you go, well, that's, that, that's this group. Oh, they're gone. Hmm. Yeah, no, so, no, 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 no. It, it, it's, yeah, it, it's, you know, dancing on the head of the pin is, is, no. is not okay. And so I, I urge the folks that listen to this show that if you've been told, no, you don't qualify before, Odds are the answer is still no. Uh, but if you find someone says, oh, no, we can find a way, uh, I would be a little leery of that. Right, because the IRS will claw that back with penalties and interest, and you're out the money that you paid the guy who's now gone. Yeah. Um, and so do it one. And then what I liked about R&D, and this isn't a promo for them by any stretch of imagination. There's a lot of companies that do it. You know, Paychecks as a payroll provider does it. I think ADP might be doing it. Um, but uh, Paychecks does it cheaper, frankly. And they have all the payroll information. Right. Super easy for those guys, okay? But they waited until six months ago to say, like, wait, you guys wait for that. Right there, you have the information anyway. Sorry, I got a little excited. So um, I would encourage businesses, one, if they did qualify for second PPP, you have about 70, about a 70, 60%, 70% chance that you also qualify for the ERC. Um, and if you don't, you know, that's it. End of story. You know, no, no trying to make a square hole fit in a square peg fit in a round hole. Right. So, um, so that's that. And then, um, you know, so 
something that was actually a little disturbing was uh, this all happened this last Sunday. Was it uh, two Sundays? No, just well, anyway, on a Sunday, the last Sunday, one before early onset. I have no Sunday idea. in November. Sunday. <laughs> Some Sunday in November. It makes it sound like a movie. Right. Uh, so my daughter was saying, because my daughter works for a charter school online, and she helps out students that are falling behind, learning issues, that sort of thing, and does it all online, which works wonderfully well for her. And this is kind of a result of all the COVID online stuff. She said, wow, this kind of works, and the charter school's been a charter online forever, and they brought her on board, yeah, yeah. So she says, yeah, she's doing, and I got some third graders that can't even identify letters. Yeah. That's actually a problem everywhere, uh, except so in probably real high end. No, it's not. It's 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 um, uh, except in really high end areas where parents are competitive and they were reading to their kids and working with their kids. Uh, if it, kids are are years behind, I think the average in the United States is two years behind. There really wasn't a whole lot going on during COVID. So that very same day, so it was the morning. My daughter was over here, or we're over there, or whatever. I then go out to a uh, uh, you know nonprofit dinner that that evening, and I'm sitting next to a third grade teacher in San Bernardino. Oh, and uh, I said, "Oh, well, my daughter's a teacher," and she was telling me this problem. And I go, well, "What do you think?" And she goes, "Well, I have 24 students in my third grade class in San Bernardino, and five of them know how to read." Ouch. So I will tell you them below grade, two at grade and one above. Wow. I, I will, so this, I will the, pro the problem here, Erin, I'm sorry, I keep cutting you off. Um, the problem here is that this, these kids are third graders, which means that they're six, seven, eight, nine years old, eight or nine years old, uh, in 10 years, in 30, 32. This is our workforce. 2032. 2032. That's you. <laughs> 2032. Okay. Early onset. And 2032. Yeah, that's our workforce. <laughs> or not. Yeah. It's terrifying. I, and I will tell you that, and I was going to do a shameless plug, and I'm sorry for uh, jumping in before you were done. Um, the uh, Inland Empire Children's Book Project, and I am on the board for the Inland mm -hmm. Empire Children's Book Project. We're a 100% volunteer nonprofit organization. Our whole mission is getting books in the hands of kids, and we need books. We've been um, going one by one in schools in San Bernardino and just having a book for every single student. Um, and we especially need books for early readers because we're having third and fourth graders run to the kindergarten table because their teachers are going to the kindergarten table because they can't read. And so this problem is a massive problem. And so if you have books, like maybe your, your kids have just, are, have just grown and flown and you've got a bunch of children's books you want to get rid of, uh, IECBP, Inland Empire Children's Book Project.org. I'm sorry, say it again. This is I, for the benefit of your listeners, by the that's way. That's right, it is. IEC as in children's, BP as in Inland Empire Children's Book Project, IECBP.org. We'll take you to the website. Um, or they can reach out to me at erin.brinker at makinghope.org. That's erin.brinker at makinghope.org. We can, we'll take all the books we can possibly get our hands on and they'll go to kids in San Bernardino or Rialto Unified School Districts. So those are the two districts we serve at the moment. And if you want to volunteer, maybe you're bored, former teachers sitting at home, you want something to do, we would love to have you, have you help us sort books. 
Okay. You know, I'm going to put that in my next newsletter. I'll put that, uh, I'll put that plug in there because thank you. You know, they, they have, there's all sorts of things go on. I, I, I talk about things that are happening on a week to week, month to month, maybe a year to year basis. Okay, it's all what's happening today. Unemployment's still at 3.7%. Inflation's down 7.6. That's great. Uh, rents are up because there's not enough of them. Uh, and every time I do my Russell report, it almost sounds like Groundhog Day. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's just the same thing every week with a little variety shift in numbers. But yes, you know, things cost more. People are still working. There's still lots of cash out there. Uh, people are still saying they're going to spend as much this Christmas as they did last Christmas. Oh, interesting. So just, buy, <laughs> just buy less of it. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, yeah, there's that. Yes. So it is. Um, yeah. So this is this is something that. But to me, this is a 10 year thing. Yes. And demographics is everything. And you're seeing, you know, uh, you saw Schumer. And there's a clip of him going around saying, hey, you know what? We need workers and we need to legalize all these people coming in. And frankly, he's absolutely correct. We need workers. Um, I'm happy for legalizing them. Just tell us who they are. Right. And right. So we need, but we need to know who they are and that, you know, this is their name, this is their tax ID number, whatever it is. They'll be happy to, to, to provide that stuff. But because uh, our population stops growing in 20, 30, 40, 50 years, you yeah. don't know when. You know, and they made a big deal. Oh, this week, the eighth billionth person was born. Okay, well, you know what? In about 70 years, it's going downhill. You're going to, you're, then in 200 years, you're going, oh, we're down back down to eight billion. Uh, yes. So it is, and people go, oh, that's so far away. Well, you know. Actually, it's not. In the, in the whole, maybe for yeah. your lifetime, it's far away, but in the whole grand scheme of the, how the world works, no, it's not. And, and I, and I am all for, immigration um because yeah. we do we do need workers we do need um uh productive people to keep our systems afloat our infrastructure afloat it takes young people coming into the system yeah. and americans are not having babies and so um, oh, the, but, dogs. Let's have yeah. a dog let's get dogs let, yeah i'm gonna dress up the dog and treat the dog like a baby why don't you have a child um so uh <laughs> but i want to know that the people coming in can be those productive people Right. So I would like for them to be literate in whatever language they're coming here with, because if you know, if you can read in one language language, it's easier to learn how to read in the second, you know, so I want them to have some, oh yeah, because the concept of reading is easier. I mean, you, you have that, you've done that. Um, So it's easier, you know, if they, if they have a skill at home that they've developed, they have some education from home, um, then it's more likely that they're going to be able to learn something new. And if you have people who are coming here with no education, no, no skills at all. Now that's going to be a drain on the economy until they can ramp up if they decide to ramp up, you know? And so if that's, we have to make that decision as a culture, as a, as a nation. I yeah. mean, I think that right now the decision's kind of being made for us about who we yeah. let in. Um, there's a whole lot of really bad people coming in and I'm talking about the cartels that are trafficking yeah. in, in uh, trafficking human beings, trafficking uh, narcotic trafficking guns, you know, that sort of mm-hmm. thing. I, yeah. I don't like what's happening now. It is, it is, uh, it's interesting, but you know, it's, I, I'm still enough of an optimistic Pollyanna to think that, oh, we'll figure it out. Um, so, you know, but I think yeah. a little, maybe going to church might not hurt either. Yeah. Oh, no, a church is a good place to be. <laughs> and I have to say, you know, since we're talking about, I, I, again, I am all for immigration. I want families yeah. to come here and become fabulously wealthy. 
and to raise their kids here and be productive members of the citizen. I want of the community. I want them to join the Rotary Club or the Elks Lodge and, you know, be a part of mm -hmm. this nation. Um, and so I don't want anybody to think that I'm anti-immigrant. I'm absolutely not. We've hosted exchange students from all over the world. I'm absolutely for people coming here and making the United States better. But we need to have a say on 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 who those people are. Yep. Yep. Amen. There you go. There you go. So um, those were the Cal competes play uh, retention credit. Uh, the reading issue at the third grade. I was I was just stunned. And I I, I and I. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. It's almost, it's almost, you're almost speechless because what are, I asked my daughter, what are the parents doing? Nothing. They, don't do anything. they want the teacher to do it. Yes. These are the, so, here's the thing. I, I imagine in your house that your kids always had books. They oh, may yeah. not have had other things that they wanted, but there were always books in your yeah. house. And in my house, like if we went out and they were like running to Walmart and they were good, they'd get a book. They didn't get a toy. That was how things were in my house. But if that's not your family culture, you may not have any books in your house. So where is Junior yeah. going to read? Are they going to see parents reading ever? Probably not. You know, yeah. so how do you develop a culture of literacy? It comes from home. You, you, have, you have phones and you have a screen. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't count. TikTok no. does not count. <laughs> uh, you know, my, and then my wife, who was a music teacher, retired. Uh, you know, she tells stories. We were talking about that. She goes, yeah, you'd be surprised how many kids come in because she was doing kindergarten. And she would play Mary Had a Little Lamb. People didn't know it. Shut the front door. No. Mary, they didn't know Mary had a little lamb. I think that no. song exists in every language. You know, it's. It's like, are you it, sleeping? I can sing yeah, that but, in three but, languages. But also, too, you, the same people that would expect, you'd expect to A, B, C, D, E. We, right. we, we have a toddler. Mason is 17 months. We do that now. And I bet he loves it. And I bet he loves it when you read him books. And then we, we go around and I said, hey, you know, that's an orange tree and this is an orange. And it looks up, you know, and you, you, I, I think, you know, if you're going around, take your kid for a walk and you know, you're just looking at your phone and you're hanging on to the kid or the kids in the stroller. There's nothing that comes out of that. And I don't I don't know if there's parenting classes or there something are. That, that we so, don't tell people or you sign something to the hospital going, oh, by the way, before you're released, you need to read this book and pass the test. <laughs> That's a different issue. But there are parenting classes. The Dr. Albert Carnegie Infant Toddler Success Program that is part of the Making Hope Happen Foundation. Uh, we are focused on families with children ages zero to five specifically to teach how to maximize neurological development. And, and that's re reading and singing and engaging and having that serve and return with your kids um, because that's what develops their brains. 
and it's just it's just it astounds me. It was really that's the last time I'm still you can tell I'm still like wow. Like I can't I just it's just to me you don't know the letters of the alphabet. So I think it's time to and this is the wake up call. You know, we're we're talking about this, people are thinking about this. Uh, you know, spend time with kids. Turn yeah. off your phone and spend yeah. time with kids. Your yeah. grandkids, nieces, yeah. nephews, kids in your your severe, they need your attention. They need your interaction. They need you to read them a book. I mean, where would I think where excuse me, hiccup, where would my childhood have been without Dr. Seuss? You know? Oh, yeah. Pop on pop, the fish book, the foot book, or what redfish, yeah. one fish, two fish, red, red fish, blue fish, green, green eggs, eggs and, and ham, ham. Yeah. the cat in the hat, all yeah. of the all of those and they're and they're you know make up your childhood yeah i i love children's books i think they're wonderful yeah oh well. there you go so those, those were kind of the, the the things that i wanted to focus on i, I think uh at the end of the day people are going to have a uh i think it's gonna be a pretty decent holiday season i think there's still there's still a lot of money out there unemployment still 3.7 that's that's uh, good and, you know, buy a book for um, your kids <laughs> yeah you know and then a, a also, anecdotally, and I may sneeze, so you may have to put the mute button, or maybe I'll do that. Is um, I not to, though. Um, is there's um, one business owner, he's you know, he has a machine shop, and two years ago, he's paying his people $15 an hour because that's minimum wage. They're just, they're just at the bottom rung of the machine shop. And um, well, now, there's a guy, you know, this guy's the last year or so have been saying, hey, Del Taco's paying 19 or 20. Right. So, okay. so uh, Sorry, my bad. Uh, you'll mute that out, I'm sure. Um, so I apologize. Uh, he goes, you know, there's there's this material I have. It's kind of like, you know, we talked about going from the top down. This is the bottom up, bu a bubble up sort of thing where I'm getting the $15 guys. Uh, he's in Ontario. Uh, two $2 raises. Now they're making 19 And he says, what, you know, yeah, do they need money? Sure they do. But that's uh 30% raise. They're not making about 30% more, 25, 20, 30% more than they were without any really increase in expenses that they've had before. And so I think there's a lot of money. He says, I think there's a lot of money out there. Yep. You know, we're just competing with the Taco Bells of the world because they need people and sure. they're able to advertise and pay it. So we got to keep up. But then on the offset, you have wage compression. So my top guys are making 30 bucks an hour, maybe 35. It's now the difference between the bond guys, top guys has become less. Yes, so which I is not necessarily a problem. Not necessarily, because if right. there's, depending on how much, how much difference there was to begin with, um, yeah. you know, that, that, that there's a, that there's a more of an adjustment in, in bringing those two, those two numbers closer. It is in the state of California that your lowest paid exempt employee must make at least twice minimum wage. So if minimum wage goes up to $15, then your your lowest paid exempt employee, this is our uh, salaried employee, has to make the equivalent of $30 an hour. Okay. So that's state law. Oh, that's 60 a year. Interesting. Okay, there you go. I'll have to look yeah. into that. It's like 60,000 and change. Like, yeah. yeah. So anyway, Adam Russell, it is always a delight to, to have you join me here on this show. Let people know how they can find out more about you and find so services and solutions for business. Uh, LinkedIn's really the best way to go for Adam Russell, uh, do a search there, uh, SS for B, Services and Solutions for Business, uh, and then, uh, you know, link in with me on LinkedIn. Um, and that's how you do it. Or go to SS4B and send me a message through there. And you've left me with homework. 
Aaron. So <laughs> I have to send you information on CalCompete and um, uh, the ERC. Perfect. And Thank I'll you so much. A note out to the Inland Empire. Children's Book Project. Children's Fun Project. There you go. Um, so there we go. Thank, Thank you, you so much. much. Happy Thanksgiving to you and your family. And I look forward to talking to you in December. Indeed. I always love speaking with Adam Russell, love his energy and positivity, and definitely want to check him out on LinkedIn. Like he said, search for Adam Russell on LinkedIn, and I, there may be more, actually probably are more, uh, but he, he is services and solutions for business. I think you can go to SS4B, the number 4B.com and find him there as well. So one of the things that I love doing is sharing interviews that I have conducted over the years. And I love talking to authors, both fiction and nonfiction. And way back in November uh, of 2018, so this is November 12th, 2018, I had a conversation with the author Andrew Roberts. He wrote a biography called Churchill, Walking with Destiny. And, And so I'll be referencing, you know, what a great time. This is the day after November 11th in that year, which of course is, was Armistice Day. That was the end of World War One, And, you know, thinking about peace and war and all of that, it was a good timing. You know what? It still is. So buckle up. Here we go. I am honored, absolutely honored today to uh, introduce our next guest, Andrew Roberts. Uh, he has uh, He's an, a best-selling, award-winning author, and he, sh- he has written a landmark biography of Winston Churchill based on extensive mut- material from private letters and diaries uh, to transcripts of war cabinet meetings. Um, Andrew Roberts is the best-selling author of The Storm of War, and a new history of the Second World War, uh, Masters and Commanders, How Four Titans won the war in the West, 1941 to 1945, and then Napoleon, Napoleon, a life. He's the winner of the LA Times Book Prize for biographies. He has won many prizes, including the Wolfson History Prize and the British Army Military Book Award. He frequently writes for the Wall Street Journal and is the Roger and Martha Mertz Visiting Research Fellow at the Hoover Institution at Stanford University. He lives in London and often lectures in New York. Uh, Andrew Roberts, uh, welcome to the show. Thank you. Great honor to be on. So I can't think of a more appropriate day to be talking about Winston Churchill. And, and because he is, if you, if you point to one person and say who, who secured the freedom of the free world during World War II, and it's him. So what was it like to explore his life when writing this biography? Well, although it's taken me four years to write this biography, it's the fifth book I've written with Churchill in the title or the subtitle over the last 30 years. So I rather feel, like Churchill when he became Prime Minister, that all my past life has been but a preparation for this hour, for this trial. <laughs> <laughs> so um, so what are some, you know, Winston Churchill obviously was uh, was part of uh, the, I think he was in the Queen's Navy um uh, in during World War One, explain how that might have how that affected and impacted how he approached World War Two. He was the political head of the um, of the of the um, Royal Navy. He was the first Lord of the Admiralty, and he came up with this, on the face of it, brilliant strategic plan to get the Royal Navy through the Straits of the Dardanelles and um, moor it off Istanbul and um, and knock basically knocked the Ottoman Empire out of the central powers of uh, Austria and, uh, and Germany, which would have been a, um, 
a huge success and the, almost a war-winning tactic. But unfortunately, in the implementation of it, which he wasn't present at, we lost six, um, the Allies lost six ships on, uh, on the 18th of, yes, exactly, 18th of March, 1918, to um, mines that we didn't realize had been, uh, had been sown there. And, um, and then he then uh, overruled the chief of staff and put men on the Gallipoli Peninsula. And they fought uh, desperate um, fighting there for months, which ultimately led to the killing or wounding of 160,000 um, Allied troops. So, you know, he was a genius, but he was a flawed genius. He made many, many errors, not, uh, including political errors in his life. But that was the central strategic error. The great thing about Winston Churchill is that he learned from his mistakes. Again and again, you see this in his career. And um, the, the mistake that he learned with regard to the Dardanelles was not to overrule the chiefs of staff. And in the whole of the Second World War, even though he could have constitutionally, because he was Minister of Defence as well as Prime Minister, he could have, but he never once overruled the chiefs of staff in the Second World War. And so this is a classic example of him learning from his mistakes. Wow. Well, and I said, I mistakenly said Queen's Army. It was her father, King George the uh, the Sixth, who was uh, the monarch at the time. So, or I said Navy. Um, well, actually, in the First World War, it was her grandfather, King George V. Oh! Uh, yeah. <laughs> I need it, to bone up on my history. VI. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Well, they're all called the same thing, so it's, it's a bit more complicated. But he was, uh, but it was King George the Sixth, of course, who was in the in the Second World War, and uh, and that's the person with whom. Churchill formed a very strong bond to the point that the king actually called him his friend. And uh, he was the only one of the king's four prime ministers who the king referred to by his Christian name. Wow. So what did Churchill really think? I mean, you had access to his his diaries. What did he really think of Roosevelt? Yes, I was very fortunate in this book to um, have been allowed by the queen to be the first Churchill biographer to be able to use her father, King George VI, diaries. And in the course of, um, of researching these, uh, this wonderful new, um, new source, I discovered that um, Winston Churchill was much more in private, much more caustic about um, the American alliance and uh, President Roosevelt than uh, he could possibly be in public. In public, of course, he had to thank the Americans for anything that, they, that we got from them. But um, in private, he saw the Second World War as a war for civilization and democracy against Hitler and the Nazis. And he couldn't understand why um, the Americans didn't want to get uh, more closely involved earlier. And of course, ultimately, it took uh, Hitler to declare war against America on the 11th of December 1941 um, to, to bring America into war against Germany. And so um, you get a, a, a mounting sense of frustration, really, and the irritation in the remarks that he makes to the king. Um, he knew, of course, that the king, king was utterly to be trusted. Uh, the king wrote down everything that Churchill said on the Tuesday afternoon meetings that they had, lunchtime meetings, where they served themselves from, their, from the sideboard because uh, Churchill trusted the king with every secret, with the ultra-secret secrets, with the nuclear secrets, with where they were going to attack with the hiring and firing of ministers and, and generals. It really was a very close relationship. So in both world wars, America was reticent to get involved. We got in after the sinking of the Lusitania in World War One, And, you know, for World War Two, it took 
Pearl Harbor and then then uh, Hitler declaring war, um, and that had to have been frustrated. You were supposed to have been the the strong allies with the UK, but as the UK faced an existential threat, we twiddled our thumbs, you know, across the water. Um, and so I have to I have to think that it was extre- extraordinarily frustrating um, for the leadership in Britain. Yes, but but Churchill couldn't say so publicly, of course. Um, and so, uh, and so, you really only get this sense of frustration from um, these new sources that um, that I've managed to use. And as I say, I'm the first of Churchill's biographers to be able to use them. So, what would you say was Churchill's biggest mistake? Well, the Dardanelles catastrophe undoubtedly was the uh, was the, the biggest mistake he made. Um, he made lots of other ones. He was on the wrong side of history when it came to female suffrage. He uh, got the gold standard, the Britain returning to the gold standard, wrong in 1925. He um, got the abdication crisis wrong when he supported um, King Edward VIII. It was, um, it was really, um, there's, a, there's a long and, and sort of rather sorry um, list of uh, errors. But as I say, he did learn from each of them. And he also, uh, he went into most of them with, um, uh, from, from uh, a principled position. Uh, he was, wasn't a dishonorable politician, but he did. He was a, he was a genius, but a flawed genius, I think, is, uh, is uh, a, a worthy way of looking at it. So did, do you think if he were prime minister today or involved in politics today, do you think he would be popular? I think he'd be very good at politics today. I mean, one of the things about politicians is they're very good at, uh, at um, uh, adapting to all the modern techniques. I think he'd be extremely good on Twitter, for example, owing to the fact that he was able to, many of his best jokes are short and his best remarks are, um, are brief. And I think he'd be able to fit many of his uh, uh, sort of response to hecklers and things into 280 characters or fewer. <laughs> so um, do you, one other question, because I know that we're running short of time. Did, did he ever doubt himself, you know, as he was making decisions and, 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 the, and Britain really did face an existential threat from the Nazis? Did he, did he doubt what he was, the decisions he was making? No, no, he didn't. He had an extraordinary sense of self-belief. I think part of it came from just sheer social entitlement. He was the grandson of the Duke, uh, in a, in, born in the Victorian era, born in a palace, and not just any old palace, he was born in Blenheim Palace, which even the royals envy. Um, and so he had a, a complete sense of himself as a, uh, as a leader of men, and was therefore somebody who did have a tremendous, he'd been to Sandhurst, he'd fought on four continents, he'd held the great offices of state, many of them, like came Secretary and Chancellor the Exeger. He really did arrive at the premiership uh, fully formed, as it were, and that he did believe that all his past life had been but a preparation for this hour and this trial, and he was right. And he was and right. So when he, when he took these decisions, he, uh, he did believe in all of them. So we are out of time. Let people know, are you going to be doing a book tour, or how can they follow you on social media? Um, well, I, I'm, on, uh, I'm on Twitter, but uh, and I've got a website, but yes, I'm doing an enormous book tour. I'm doing a, a 12,700 mile book tour around wow. America before Christmas. Wow. <laughs> so it's, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a bit, as, as big as Churchill's 
own 1931 book tour, I'm proud to say. <laughs> wow. Well, may the good weather follow you. Andrew Roberts, Thanks. thank you so much for joining us today, and thank you for taking the four years to write this incredible book. Thank you, Erin. I really enjoyed it. We have time for one more classic interview. This one is with author, award-winning author, Doug Abrams. He co-wrote a book about the Dalai Lama called The Book of Joy. What a great day, the day before Thanksgiving, to be focused on joy. Here we go. So excited. We're going to jump right into We've got a, a wonderful, wonderful guest on the line. This is author Douglas Abrams. He's a co-wrote, co-written a book called The Book of Joy. Uh, so I've got to read this intro to you. New, Nobel Peace Prize laureate and His Holiness the Dalai Lama and Archbishop Desmond Tutu has survived, have survived rather, more than 50 years of exile and the soul-crushing violence of oppression. Despite their hardships, or as they would say, because of them, they are two of the most joyful people on the planet. This is perfect for this time of year and always actually in the book of joy they look back on their long lives to answer a single burning question how do we find joy in the fact that life's inevitable in the fact of life's inevitable suffering the book of joy is featured on oprah's favorite things for uh, 2016 and is an instant new york times bestseller doug abrams is the co-writer of the book and uh, we welcome him to the show good morning good morning great to be with you aaron and tobin so what prompted you to write this book uh, well, actually, I have had the privilege of working with uh, Archbishop Desmond Tutu on all of his book projects for the last decade, and we were at his wife's birthday party with the chairman of the Dalai Lama Foundation, who proposed the idea and said, you know, what do you think about uh, the two of them doing a book together? And I said, wow, sounds amazing. What would it be on? And we both paused, looked at each other, and said, joy, because these are two of the most joyful people on the planet. So we were having sandwiches with Arch, as he's affectionately known in his office. And I turned over to and said, hey, Arch, you want to write a book with the Dalai Lama? And he turned back and he said, I'd do anything with that man. <laughs> because they just love each other. They're, they, they call each other their spiritual, uh, mischievous spiritual brother. They're uh, fast friends. And, I mean, one of the amazing things of being with the two of them is that they're, con- you know, you, you think, you know, these are the two holy men, but they're constantly, like, teasing each other and cracking jokes, and, I mean, it's like, you know, they're buddies, uh, or, you know, college, you know, college friends or something, um, and, you know, they couldn't be from more different worlds, but they just have this incredible affection, which I think shines through, the, you know, on every page of the book. So, so when and how did these two men meet? And, and you're right, they do seem like spiritual brothers. I mean, they, ha- they both have that, that quintessential sort of lightness of, of being and just sort of a happiness, general happiness about them. But when and when and where did they meet and develop this relationship? So true. Um, well, they are both Nobel Peace Prize winners, and they met um, as a result of uh, their winning that award um, and again a Nobel Peace Prize gathering. Um, but you know, these are two global figures. You know, you know, don't have a lot of time to hang out with their friends. Yeah. You know, and I think they've only actually met with each other half a dozen times in their life, and they certainly had never had a you know a week like this to actually just be together, talk you know, and in, in such depth of, about the deepest issues of human life and meaning and happiness, um, and then to also you know break bread together and. Uh, you know, learn to share their ritual practices. We, the Dalai Lama taught Archbishop to do how he meditates. You know, we had a birthday party for the Dalai Lama, so he, he danced for the first time in his life, which was really incredible. So uh, it was pretty, 
pretty an extraordinary experience. And the, the goal of the book is to actually share with readers that whole experience. So they wanted it to be kind of a birthday, you know, a birthday present for the world, and they envisioned it as almost like a three-layer birthday cake where it was this, their stories, and you really get to see their humanity through their stories as they're sharing them. They're not kind of like standing on a mountaintop and preaching at people. They're sharing their own struggles in their own life, and those stories and that wisdom that comes from it, and then they also wanted it to be, you know, have science in it. They said, this can't be a Buddhist book, this can't be a Christian book, this has to be a universal human book, and we don't want anybody to read this and take what we say on faith. We want them to investigate it and, and, and see if it's true for them and to see what the science says. And then the third layer was that experience of almost like the travelogue, like the reader gets to be there sitting and breaking bread with the Dalai Lama and Desmond Tutu and hearing what they have to say and the jokes that they cracked. And, you know, this one wonderful experience I had of, of you know, sitting next to the Dalai Lama at, at lunch. And, you know, he, you know, Buddhists are often supposed to be very detached from the, from the pleasures of the world. But he turns to me with his bowl of rice pudding and, you know, it, which was our dessert. And he says, I love this. You know, <laughs> it's just like, you know, you get to be, experience them as just as real human beings. So we live in a culture that, that really celebrates victimhood. And, and I, I don't quite know how we got here, but what, mm-hmm. what, what victimhood does is robs you of your joy. And so this, I think so this true. book is very timely. How do you teach a nation that desperately needs to hear that message? I think it's, it's a really powerful point, and I think that one of the most... The book is about how do we find joy in the face of adversity. It's about a realization, actually, that adversity and suffering are inevitable parts of our lives. They're not the sources of our victimhood. They're the sources of our noblement. They're the source of our greatness. And, you know, as the Dalai Lama said, you can turn every adversity into an opportunity. And I think that is such a stronger, more powerful way to face the hard things that we all face in our life and to turn them into a way where we can help them benefit ourselves and actually help use them to benefit others as well. So do you still have a relationship with, uh, with the Dalai Lama, for example? So yes, I mean, my uh, I've obviously known uh, Archbishop Tutu much longer, um, but this process of um, getting to know the Dalai Lama through the book has been very profound. Um, and you know, I'd say you know, Archbishop Tutu has been a kind of decades-long mentor and spiritual teacher and friend. Um, I was, you know, so I don't have that kind of intimate relationship with the Dalai Lama. I was just down with Archbishop Tutu for his 85th birthday and. We got to spend some beautiful time as he's been in the hospital. He's been sick, and we don't know how long we'll have him. And we just got to just kind of be together quietly and pray together and just share, um, you know, review the long history of our relationship and what he calls these mementos of our friendship, these books that we've been able to give to the world, and this latest one, The Book of Joy, um, which I think, you know, in, in many ways is kind of his legacy piece and the Dalai Lama's legacy piece, sharing the core of their wisdom and their, their experience. So how have you changed through the writing of this book? 
Well, I don't think you can stare into the eyes of those two incredible men for five days and not come out, you know, in in some way humbled and transformed. Um, But the whole experience, frankly, of working on the book and trying to internalize their wisdom, you know, the book has their joy practices, for example, you know, things like as simple as setting your intention in the day and at the end of the day reflecting on whether you've fulfilled the intention that you set for that day, simple things that really do affect us and and change us. And I think, you know, this is actually, I mean, you know, the irony of ironies where, you know, there's been some personal and professional adversity this fall as we've been publishing and talking about the book. And I think the recognition of, of not going into what you described as that victimhood or the poor me or the or the ruminating or but to really try to see the opportunity in that adversity and transcend that adversity in a way that we can learn from grow from and uh, deepen ourselves as a result of is um I mean they talked about illness and um you know you know really how they're facing death I mean some really profound topics and we you know, the book has three parts. It starts with the true nature of joy, and then we talk about the obstacles to joy, everything from stress and anxiety and fear and anger all the way to illness and fear of death. And then uh, the final part is the eight pillars of joy, which are, you know, the, what they feel are the really core qualities in, in, that we need to cultivate in order to have more joy. So when I think of these two men, in addition to joy, I think of humility. And both of them have mm-hmm. um, have been awarded the Nobel Prize. Um, have have yes. they talked about that experience in their whole, the way they see the world? Yeah, it's really funny. I mean, they were actually at one point kind of joking about these prizes, you know, that they got. You know, like, you know, the, they were talking about how the Dalai Lama can, you know, not be sad and, and despairing and broken from being in exile for 50 years. And he was talking about this way that we were just describing of re- the way he reframes and the perspective he has on his life. And, you know, he was saying that actually 50 years in exile has been better because of what he's been able to experience and get closer to, to real life than he would have in his gilded cage in, in, in Tibet. And, you know, you know, the, you know, Archbishop Tutu said, you know, kind of, chucklingly laugh, yeah, well, you probably wouldn't have gotten the Nobel Prize, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and, you know, so they, you know, they are, they are so humble, you know, the Dalai Lama would, like, pull the beard of our sound technician that was wiring him up with a microphone, as if to say, you know, today I'm the Dalai Lama, and you're the sound technician, maybe tomorrow you'll be the Dalai Lama, and I'll be the sound technician. (laughs) So we are completely out of time. This book is absolutely delightful. How do people find it? Uh, you can go to any bookseller or the website bookofjoy.org, um, Book of Joy, Lasting Happiness in a Changing World. Well, Douglas Abrams, thank you so much for joining us today. Everybody needs to get out there, especially this time of year, and get this book. So Great to be with you. Thank you so much, Aaron and Tobin. Thank you for joining me today. This brings us to the end of our show for this week. Have a wonderful, safe, happy, fun-filled Thanksgiving. See you next week. Karen and the staff at It's a Dog's World Canine Academy reminds listeners never leave your pets alone in parked cars with the windows closed as dehydration, heat stroke, and death can occur in just minutes. So make sure they have a steady supply of water and shade. This message. 
You're on board KCAA's Inland Talk Express. KCAA, Loma Linda, 1050 AM, the station that needs no listener behind. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 